Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to our first edition of the Divers and Cheats show on Rabble TV and via World Soccer Talk. My name is Carter Krishnayer. I'm your host, and we're going to take this journey together every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. Divers and Cheats is a new show from World Soccer Talk and Rabble, which will discuss the beautiful game and all the controversies around the beautiful game. That includes politics off the field, scandal, uh, pertinent societal issues, and all of the other things that make football the most controversial game in the world, but also the most beautiful game in the world. Set your clock each week, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, to us. Interact with us via Rabble.tv in the comments box if you're registered as a Rabble.tv user. If you're not, you should register. Or tweet at KKFLA737, that's my Twitter handle, KKFLA737. Tonight on the show, we're going to look at Major League Soccer. It's been an interesting summer. The United States men's national team eliminated in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Gold Cup. But Major League Soccer getting bigger and bigger, getting bigger names. Kaká in Orlando, Javinko in, in Toronto, Lampard and Gerrard, the two greatest English players of their generation, both in Major League Soccer now. But at the same time, American players are coming back to Major League Soccer. If you look at the 2010 World Cup roster for the United States, you had the core of that team playing abroad. Landon Donovan was the one core player in Major League Soccer. Everybody else was in Europe. Now, you've got only a handful of core players 
field players. Obviously, the goalkeepers continue to be a great American export to, to big European clubs. But field players that are playing outside of Major League Soccer, is this a good thing? This is a bad thing? In light of the recent results for the United States, we assess this. There's the Gold Cup to talk about, of course. But there's also the U.S.'s friendly results in Europe, winning in Germany, winning in Holland. Two massive footballing nations, two footballing nations that the United States has not had much historical success against. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what is uh, taking place in terms of officiating and coaching in Major League Soccer. What is happening in terms of officials? PRO is is the first professional attempt to make officiating a professional uh, game, in the, uh, make officials more professional in the United States. So that's a four-year effort that's been underway. It takes time, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight as well, and we're going to talk about coaching in, in, in Major League Soccer and whether the best coaches in the world are necessarily um, – are necessary to develop American players, and if there's any sort of gap that's 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 taking place with American players who play in Major League Soccer, uh, tactical coaching they might be missing. So, all of these are topics for tonight. Uh, as we go uh, uh, as we go forward, we'll be talking about these types of controversial topics. We're unafraid. We're going to have some very prominent guests on this show, and we'll see how things uh, pan out over the course of the next couple of months on this show. We'll talk about the Premier League, we'll talk about European football, we'll talk about uh, the lower divisions in the United States also, North American Soccer League, USL, the United Soccer Leagues, and uh, NPSL, with great crowd in chat you did the other night for the NPSL. So back to tonight's topic, we're going to talk about the U.S. national team, Major League Soccer, and unfortunately, Jurgen Klinsmann. It seems like this is the the favored topic of so many folks that are playing uh, the sport in this country, that are covering the sport in this country, and just casual fans of the sport in this country. The the discussions about Klinsman are very, very, um, very, very heated, and at times, uh, there's no gray area in between. There There are two camps, and one camp seems to think he's doing a great job and he has a long-term plan, long-term vision for the program. There's another camp that, 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 that feels that uh, he's a disaster. We're going to have uh, a couple of special guests, a special guest or two for us uh, coming on later in the show uh, from World Soccer Talk uh, for our first show. And we're going to talk about this topic. Uh, but if you have a, a thought about it, before we get underway with this discussion, feel free to tweet me at KKFLA737. Or leave a comment on Rabble. So here are some of my initial thoughts on this issue. Major League Soccer is a very, very different kind of league than you have abroad. And I think one of the the key differences is, and I don't want to get into single entity and promotion and relegation tonight. That's that's a topic for another time. Uh, but an issue with Major League Soccer, as well as an issue with, with the North American Soccer League, with Second Division, the United States, is the amount of travel that is involved uh, for players, for officials, for everybody connected with the sport. It's not like the leagues in Europe. This is a big country or a big continent. Remember, we have Canadian teams in both MLS and NASL. It is very, very difficult 
to replicate the conditions of Europe uh, in its entirety. So maybe the, the increased travel, the increased strain, creates problems for players, creates problems for officials. Um, Officiating has become a massive issue in, in Major League Soccer and in the North American Soccer League. Last night in Atlanta, we had three players sent off for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. In the final 10 minutes of that game, Fort Lauderdale ended the game on eight players. The same official had sent off three Tampa Bay players in um, May when they, they lost a game to Indy 11, a game that, or excuse me, drew a game against Indy 11 with a last-minute equalizer from Indy in stoppage time, a game that ultimately cost Tampa Bay the spring title in, in the NASL. Uh, we had some controversial calls uh, in uh, Minnesota United games recently in NASL, uh, the New York Cosmos versus Fort Lauderdale the other, other day. And in Major League Soccer, and again, I'm, sometimes I come at things from a Florida perspective, as you can tell, talking about Tampa Bay and Fort Lauderdale, I have seen time and again in Orlando this season some, some of the strangest calls. Going back to the second game, home game of the season against Vancouver in March, some of the, the oddest calls, calls that you might not see in any other part of the world. Uh, but again, officials have to travel too. Teams have to travel. There are a lot of games being played on artificial turf, like Orlando. Uh, they'll have their own stadium soon, which will be grass, but right now they're playing in an American football stadium, the Citrus Bowl. It's a turf stadium. Not, 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 not a great venue for soccer. Uh, they're a great story, Orlando City, and they've been amazing this season, what they've been able to do in that community, what they've done since they started in USL a couple years ago before they got, they, they, uh, got promoted to Major League Soccer, but the stadium is a problem. And I think ultimately we have a physical brand of, of, of football in this country between MLS and NASL, USL to a lesser extent. So that affects officiating. But officiating is a massive issue. Now let's talk about coaching before we bring, uh, bring one of our guests on the show. My concern about U.S. national team players playing in Major League Soccer uh, has to do a lot with, with the kind of coaching they're getting uh, stateside. And, and, and for those guys who play in Toronto also, uh, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. I talked to players that play, have played both in Europe and played in, in the United States. Players that have played in Major League Soccer and have played in, in uh, top divisions in Europe, uh, like the Premier League, the Bundesliga, what have you, or even second divisions in Europe, like the Championship, the Bundesliga 2, uh, the Segunda in Spain. I actually have an example of the Segunda in Spain, but I'm just giving um, kind of metaphoric examples. But And players tell me that coaching is getting better in Major League Soccer, but one of the issues is you have a lot of guys coaching teams that are there because they came through the MLS system. They're former Major League Soccer players. They're former uh, uh they're former executives, and they have some other tie to, to, to U.S. soccer or to the game in this, this country. Uh, they're not necessarily tactical coaches. They're not coaches who have necessarily gone through all the kind of coaching classes you go through in, in Europe. They're not the type of coaches that have been brought in for, for, for um Training and tactical purposes. They brought in because they understand the league, they understand the salary cap, they understand supplemental money, how to use, when to, when to buy a DP, all of these sorts of things, even though there are directors of soccer or, or general managers and uh, those sorts of people in all these clubs, coaches have to understand Major League Soccer. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different animal. So I've been told by players I respect 
that the training is not as good in Major League Soccer. That the training drills, and this isn't uniform. There's some there's some teams where the training is quite good. I think Kansas City is, in, is a clear example of that under Peter Vermees. But there are some, there are a number of Major League Soccer teams where the coaches are not quite at that level. The training isn't done. They haven't surrounded themselves with assistants that are experienced that have uh, these kinds of legacies in the game. And so there's a drop-off there. And then tactically in-game, this is an observation I made myself after talking to players, there isn't as much tactical, tactically that changes in MLS games, tactical changes that are made. Yes, there's substitutions, right? Three substitutions. Coaches generally use those three substitutions or two or three of them in every game. But you don't have necessarily the, the tactical uh changes and, 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 the, and the different formations and the tactical variation in the league that you have in other parts of the world. Or even, I would say quite frankly, in NASL, in that second division in the United States where there's a number of good coaches, although a criticism could be made of NASL that it's, it is an excessively tactical league. It's the opposite of MLS where it's very defensive, uh, it's very physical, and the kinds of uh, beautiful games you so, see uh, the Orlando, New York game a couple weeks ago, New York, uh, Toronto, just before that, uh, DC United game the other day. You don't you don't see those kinds of open games in, in the NASL because it's it, it's a very defensive league. Uh, they happen from time to time, but generally you don't. Uh, but still, it, you can make a case that there are better tactical coaches in our second division than in our first division. And then you look at the third division in USL, and there are a number of really. Uh, interesting tactical coaches, and in fact, we've had guys from USL go and manage uh, in the Premier League at QPR. Uh, guys who managed in USL, so that's um, that's kind of where we are. And and I think as we have this debate, there are two camps, two very clear camps. One that says everybody should be in Europe, everybody should be playing at the highest level possible, and there's another camp who says our league is, is, is good, it's good to have guys playing in every game, they're not going to play in every game in Europe it's good to have teams built around these guys, and it's uh, it's important if the United States is ever going to win the World Cup, to have the best domestic league possible and to have as many of those your guys playing in your domestic league, and historically that's true Brazil's performances have begun to drop internationally since they've had more and more guys in Europe. That's a reality. Look at it historically. Their performances have begun to drop the more guys they have in Europe. Now, of course, their stars have been playing in Europe for a while, but uh, the, more, the greater percentage of their national team that's in Europe, the poorer they've done. The same could be said for some other countries who've exported players out of their domestic league, European countries, that Spain, 2010, almost that entire team was in, in the Spanish league. Uh, a lot of guys went to England after that. Juan Mata, David Silva, among others. They're not as strong. You can make that case about Italy. 2006, they win the World Cup. All 23 players playing Serie A. Luca Toni goes to uh, Bayern the next year. They have other guys uh, beginning to float around Europe and haven't been as strong since. Now, do I really buy into that argument? Not necessarily. But uh, same thing with uh, Germany, right? Germany's largely had a lot of guys playing uh, in, the same, in the Bundesliga and playing on the same team, quite frankly, with them, with Bayern. So that's, um, that's a debate to be had as well. England has all their players playing in their domestic league. <laughs> they never win anything. They never come close to winning anything. So that's, that's where we're at. And um, 
I think it's 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 an interesting debate. It's 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 a difficult debate for a lot of folks to grapple with. So we are going to reach out now to our first special guest on this show in the history of this show, Nate Abarea, who of course hosts the, the nightly World Soccer Talk radio podcast. Uh, we, well, you can listen to it live on Sports Byline, or you can listen to it via iHeartLip Radio. You can podcast it on the WST stream, and we have some great shows on the WST stream, uh, including Nate's show, including this show, Divers and Cheats, including Soccer Morning with Jason Davis, one of the best shows uh, about this sport anywhere in the world. And proud to announce, and, and then we announced it earlier today, the return of the World Soccer Talk podcast beginning this Sunday. And for those of you who have followed our site, and followed the Premier League for a long time. It's a reunion of sorts. After four years apart, Richard Farley, myself, and Lawrence McKenna will be doing a pod again together. And it's not a one-off. We're the pod team. So you guys can party like it's 2010. We're back. So we're going to reach out to Nate now and get his views on this U.S. situation. Carter, Christian Iyer, how you doing, sir? Good, and we're, we're on the air, Nate. Uh, Nate Abarea, for those of you who don't listen to his daily show, you should be. If you're listening to this, you should be listening to that. Uh, Nate, give us a plug for World Soccer Talk Radio before we get into this discussion. Well, I hope I sent a few people your way uh, with the plug that I gave you uh, earlier this afternoon, the World Soccer Talk Radio on the uh, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. It's available for download on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, WorldSoccerTalk.com, all that good stuff. Uh, we, we said four months ago that we were in no way going to be able to make it instantly the best soccer show in the world. There's so many great ones out there, but we were going to do our best to make it one of the most unique uh, soccer shows out there. And we try to have uh, some of the biggest names in the game and especially those who are uh, real good at analyzing uh, the game and then looking at the game from different points of view, be it uh, culturally, geographically, uh, or, or on the pitch itself. Uh, we have the two Robbies on today, Rebecca Lowe, uh, back a few days ago. You've been on before, Carter, because I'd like to Brian McBride, Eric Romalda, uh, so many others from various walks of life and various locations on this footballing planet. And here's to another four months, and then who knows from there, man. This thing is uh, growing by the day, and I am privileged to be a part of it. So there's your plug, a little long-winded on with the show. Yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all with you with all of these programs until the end of 2015. And uh, if you like us uh, enough and enough of you listen, I'm sure we'll be back in 2016. So that applies to World Soccer Talk Radio with Nate. That applies to Divers and Cheats and to some of the other great shows we've got on our on our uh, bandwidth. And I mentioned Richard Farley, Lawrence McKenna, myself, and the uh, 2010, return to 2010 World Soccer Talk pod that debuts Sunday. And of course, Jason Davis and Soccer Morning, which is now in its third or fourth year lost track uh, of being a, a daily show. So great job there to Jason and to Trevor Hayward. Uh, so let's talk about this discussion. I've set the table a little bit, Nate. Major League Soccer, uh, let me just throw a couple things at you. I, um, I really believe that one of the things, and you're, you're sitting in Redding, California, I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I think one of the things that Major League Soccer's critics and critics of soccer domestically here don't get is the, the distance to travel and how difficult that is. But I did talk about that in the context of how it affects officiating and how it affects at times quality of play. 
Um, I'm, I'm with you in terms of it affecting the the style of play and uh, and and the notion that a team is going to travel in Major League Soccer more than any other league in the world. Um, it is it is the the biggest amount of travel that any league team is going to have to go through of, of any footballing league, and that's and it's draining. And people kind of brush it aside uh, and then try to have this attitude that oh, they can they can get over it. Every other uh, uh, sport in this country has to deal with that, but but soccer is a different game on so many levels. And then I definitely think that's a factor uh, with the U.S. men's national team, and as far as players that play in MLS and the the level of whether you want to call it jet lag or just uh, travel fatigue in general. Um, I also don't know too many ways around it, and I'm very curious to, to hear some of your solutions in that regard. Right, and I, th- I think it affects officiating, too, because officials have to travel great distances to officiate games because PRO is concerned about having officials that are, um, that are essentially coming from, uh, t- let's say you have an official that that's, lives in Tampa and he's going to officiate an Orlando game. They don't want that, right? So you send an official from Des Moines to officiate a D.C. United game. And so that, that affects sometimes uh, just travel. Uh, those of you who are adults and travel a lot, you know, it, when you're a kid, it, you, you don't, it doesn't affect you as much. But um, it, it is a factor. So I, I think that certainly is. But, but Nate, the, the larger question is Jurgen Klinsmann. He has been concerned about the training in Major League Soccer. He's been concerned to a certain extent about the tactical uh, management in, in, in Major League Soccer. And he's concerned about his players not playing in Europe. So, I mean, talk about that. Because obviously we would prefer to have as many American players playing at a high level in Europe as possible. But is that... At this point, realistic. I mean, I, I, I set the table by saying in 2010, we had our entire core of the team, with the exception of Landon Donovan, playing for, for European clubs, some of them for quite big European clubs. Uh, now we don't. But at the same time, a lot of those guys weren't getting games, even going into that I think it's really important, Karik, this is the, the most important aspect of this discussion is not painting with broad strokes. And it's so dangerous in, in this in this topic, this big bowl of, of whatever we want to call it here, to not paint with, with two broad strokes because you look at these guys on individual basis, then I, I look at a guy like DeAndre Edlin and I would prefer, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty in this regard, but I would prefer that DeAndre Yedlin was playing in Major League Soccer and then and dealing with the, the jet lag and then the travel fatigue and all that because he'd be starting week in, week out. Obviously, what would be best for DeAndre Yedlin is to find a club in a top-flight European league where he's getting games, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a moment, but, you know, take a guy like Josie Altador. I would prefer that Josie Altador was still playing in Europe. Uh, be it for a, a low-level English team. I know he had a, a monumental struggle at Sunderland, but I'd like to see Josie Altador back in Holland or, or in the Bundesliga and then still, you know, being around Ari Johansson and maybe, who knows, maybe they link up on the skin team again uh, the way they did at Alkmaar. Michael Bradley is a guy who I'd far rather see playing in Europe. And I think it's been a step down in his game uh, playing for Toronto. But that brings up... I think the whole gist of this for me, as far as Michael Bradley goes, he's a shining example of what I would like to see in a perfect world, and that is as much as possible, 
players from the U.S. men's national team starting and playing consistently for mid-level clubs in the top leagues in the world. And you look at what Michael Bradley did in Italy, at Chievo Verona, where he was called Generalissimo Bradley, where he played every match, he anchored a midfield. Every weekend, he was going against some of the best midfielders in the world and some of the best other players in the world and, and doing all of this in the Italian Serie A week in, week out. I go back to Brian McBride at Fulham for all those years and even in his days at Everton, but specifically in his longevity uh, spell at Fulham. Where week in, week out, he was the big leg up front and he was going toe-to-toe with the biggest, baddest center backs in the English Premier League. And look what that did for his international career and how much longer his international career went with what he was doing week in, week out at the club level. And I've seen this with, with the youth ranks as well uh, in, in terms of the U.S. system. And, and I remember specifically, and, and going back here about, I was going back like three years or so to 2012 when a player who I coached uh, had the great privilege of coaching back up in, uh, in Arcata in, uh, in Humboldt County. His name is Kiakai Ankle, and Kiakai got his call up uh, to the U18s, or the U19s, I believe. Uh, well, the U18s, U19s. And on that team, it was the same group that included Julian Green, and you had uh, Zach Fesser, who was starting to get playing time with the Philadelphia Union. We also had Lindsay Gooch uh, around the squad who was starting to get linked up with English clubs and eventually went to Sunderland. And I remember talking with so many folks around the U.S., U20s, U19s, U18s, just all that kind of level within the U.S. system. This right as Tab Ramos is getting his project going. How important it was to not teach with too broad of strokes that, and treating these guys as individuals, not having this uniform policy that just sending guys to Europe is going to make them better or just saying that MLS is poor. I mean, we had college coaches that were hounding uh, me and, and he guys, Father Terry, guys from UCLA, USC, all schools around the Pac-12, and even a few Big Ten uh, conference coaches that were out there uh, for those series of matches between the U.S. and Canada back in uh, was Carson in, uh, in 2012. And there are all these college coaches. Do what Jordan Morris is doing right now. College might be the right route for some of these guys. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that, that we can take away from this discussion, it's, it's how important it is to treat these guys, treat these young men as individuals and find out what's best for them. And, and I'll tie it back to, to DeAndre Yedlin to close kind of this whole spiel out here. And, and you look at DeAndre Yedlin's time with Sidney Schmidt as his coach. And Diddy Schmidt has a very possession-oriented style, and, and DeAndre got, for lack of a better way to put it, scolded quite a bit uh, by Diddy Schmidt in Seattle. And DeAndre Yedlin is a guy who brings up comparisons to Kobe Jones and, and things that the U.S. men's national team has lacked in recent years. And that is a guy with cojones, a guy with the, the willingness to go toe-to-toe with a defender and see a 1v1 battle and go, I'm going to take this guy on and I'm going to beat this defender. And DeAndre, if you lose the ball four times in one match, you know what I want you to do the fifth time? I want you to take that guy on again. And, and you know, there, there's another shining example of it being on an individual basis. So I'm not willing to say that, that MLS has, has hurt or hindered the U.S. men's national team. 
I just think that in a perfect world, a lot of guys would be starting for mid-level European clubs, but MLS is the perfect route to that. So let's let's take that for for a minute. We were in a position in 2010, 2011, where all these guys were playing abroad at mid-level European clubs. Then there became a conversation in this country. Well, we need guys playing for Real Madrid. We need guys playing for Barcelona. We need guys playing for Manchester United. Now, of course, we've had guys play for Manchester United, right? Jonathan Spector played for Manchester United. Timmy Howard played for Manchester United. Right? John Thornton, Jovan uh, uh, Karofsky, they didn't really play for them, but they, they uh, were on their books at one point. Uh, so we've had guys in those club systems, but we, we, we want we want our top players playing for those clubs. So that, that's where you get into a situation where Gooch goes to Milan, plays twice in three years. Uh, where uh, uh, DeAndre Yedlin now goes to Spurs, a team that is constantly competing to be in the Champions League. They're not in the Champions League, they're in the Europa League. They're in Europe every year, and he, he can't get a game. So perhaps we jump the shark a bit as American soccer fans and pundits and journalists saying, okay, we've got guys at Fulham. We've got a lot of guys at Fulham. We've got guys at Aston Villa and uh, Chievo and, 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 and these sorts of clubs, Borussia, Mönchengladbach. We want guys at Bayern. We want guys at, at Manchester United. We want guys at Chelsea. Look what happens. So then uh, Clint Dempsey moves to Spurs. Doesn't really work out. He's back in MLS. Michael Bradley moves to Roma, works out for a year. After that, it doesn't work out. He's back in MLS. Josie Altador goes to Sunderland, which is one of the most uh, – Sunderland and Newcastle. You'll hear us talk a lot about those two clubs in the show, Nate. Uh, in every show I'm on, the north, uh, northeast of England is an absolute graveyard for football, even though they got the most passionate football supporters perhaps on the planet. Those clubs, you go there, bad things happen. So Josie goes to Sunderland. He's back in MLS. So maybe we have to temper our expectations, but the, the, the question then, Nate, is Jurgen Klinsmann, does he get a pass or a bit of a pass because this has happened, because he's got so many guys back in MLS because of these circumstances? I'm not going to give him a pass. I, I don't necessarily feel too good about that term, giving him a pass, because we've seen plenty of U.S. squads, whether they were under... Bob Bradley or Bruce Arena and, and whether it's tournament teams or, or going through uh, qualifying campaigns and how the, how the squad will kind of rotate through and you get those player pools through those four-year periods. We've seen plenty of good work done with squads that were filled with talent from Major League Soccer and, and young guys coming on uh, to teams from Major League Soccer. So I'm not willing to, to give Jurgen a pass. I think he needs to do a better job, quite frankly, with what he has. And, and tactically, he's been pissed poor in, in a number yeah. of games. And, and that doesn't matter whether you've got guys from the Bundesliga or, or guys from, from the NASL in your team. You, I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann has, has outdone what Diego Maradona did back in uh, when he managed Argentina going into the 2010 uh, World Cup where, God, Diego brought in like 108 players in the course of, of 18 months. I mean, it's in, I don't know if he's outdid him, but it's in the same ballpark. And, and I don't care what league those players are from. I mean, he's brought in guys from NASL. He's brought in a college soccer player who scored a goal against Mexico, scored the winning goal against Mexico. So he's got all this stuff at his disposal. I think he's got to do a better job if he wants to spread himself. He's got to be wary of spreading himself too thin. And, and that's what I think we've seen in the lack of cohesion with this, this U.S. men's national team of late. 
I think it comes from from a lack of, of familiarity uh, with those around. I think it's at a point now as we start up World Cup qualifying and, and get moving into a new cycle that, hey, okay, it's cool what you did. I actually strongly support what you did in terms of finding them wherever they may be. If they're Bobby Wood playing in Bundesliga 2, I'm going to get him on the field because he's American. And, and I'm all for that. And as long as they want to play, and this brings up the whole, you know, mercenary player conversation for another show, but as long as they want to play for that national team, I have no problem with, with wherever they may come from. I think Jurgen's just got to start boiling it down here. And, and as far as tempering our expectations, Let's look at our main competitors in our region. Let's look at Costa Rica and Mexico, teams that have done reasonably well historically at World Cup, some of the two other big CONCACAF giants, if we want to call them that. Obviously, the USA and Mexico uh, top it all, even after what Costa Rica did at the last World Cup. Apart from Chief Chirito Hernandez and Hugo Sanchez, way back when, how many other Mexico players? ever played for Real Madrid or Manchester United or, or uh, a Chelsea, the Bayern Munich, uh, uh, a Juventus, a team of that caliber. Those don't come along very often for us. And when I say us, I'm talking North America. I'm coming together as one here, from Canada all the way down to Panama, out to the Caribbean, everywhere in between. Find me 10 players in the history of CONCACAF who've suited up for the likes of Madrid, Manchester United, Barcelona, Chelsea, etc. It doesn't happen all too often, and they need to be appreciated when they happen. And all this aspiration for, for the next, when, when's the American Messi going to come along? God, you hear all these magazines write that article, it feels like every other month, and, and you hear that question, where it's, when's, the, when's the American Messi going to come along? I'll settle for the next American McBride. I'll settle for the next... Claudio Reyna or Tony Sane or Josh Wolf or John O'Brien or Ernie Stewart. I mean, I'll settle for the next guy who's going to be a starter in a European league because expecting for us to have a starter. And again, when I say us, I'm including my brothers in Mexico and my brothers and sisters in Trinidad and Tobago and every other in Jamaica and El Salvador. But, but then why, Nate? a player to play for one of those big clubs. But why is that the case now that the United States has not developed another really good cultured holding midfielder uh, like Claudio Reyna, uh, has not developed another really good, rugged durable forward like Brian McBride. What, what's happened? Where, where, where's, is this because of Major League Soccer? Is this because of U.S. Soccer? Is it just a cycle, uh, a down cycle? Uh, how do you explain that? You could make very good cases for all three or four of the, the, the answers, potential answers that you threw out there. Um, I, I like to err on the side of caution here and say that it's just a bit of a down cycle, which we, we've seen down cycles before. I mean, every, every country has, has down cycles. France must be one of the worst down cycles of their, of their football in history, uh, recently. Top European teams go through, top South American teams go through quote unquote bad cycles. But, I mean, God, look at the Brazilian conversation right now. The same conversation is being had that we're having right now is being had in Brazil with the Brazilian national team. I mean, considered off the top of billions of people's heads in this world as, as the greatest footballing nation in, in the world. I mean, they're, they're, they're Brazilian. Well, of course, part of the problem with Brazil... 
Cardiac 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 Cardiac
MLS, there's an emphasis on possession. In NASL, there is not. And in fact, a lot of times the opposing coach that this coach has gone against when he was in NASL uh, had uh, a, a, a game plan to give up possession and sit deep. And because of that, it became more tactical. It became more uh, more of a coaching chess match. Uh, but that doesn't happen in MLS because now there's a real emphasis on everybody having the ball yeah, and playing with that, the ball. That coach clearly, you know, studied the Jose Mourinho Bible of football, which is, you know, renounce possession and, and counts on the other team's mistakes. And, and that's one uh, tactical mindset. There's, there's millions of, of tactical mindsets in the soccer world. And I like to see a league have, have multiple mindsets. I have a league where, where, you know, intellectual football flourishes and seeing people take different approaches within the same league. I, I love that. I'm all for it. Now, I, I want to go back and finish something real quick here because the reason why I said it's kind of a funny topic and the way you, you framed that question to me is over the last couple of weeks, suddenly Major League Soccer has opened up and become a badass, entertaining, just no no old barred league in the world. I mean, six four score lines and five three matches at Yankee Stadium. And say whatever you want about the, the lack of, of quality work in the back line uh, for many of these teams. These matches are entertaining, and suddenly my whole spiel and, and Lego's whole idea about players backing out of 1v1 situations, I'm watching dudes take defenders on all the time. And so this is a change that is it's been night and day from the beginning of the MLS season to where we stand right now. I turn on an MLS match as long as it's not my beloved San Jose Earthquakes. Everybody's entertaining right now. And then yeah, it's an entertaining week. <laughs> So I hope that continues. That's what happens when you bring Javinko to your league, and that's what happens when you bring Kaká to your league, and Frank Lampard. Although there's some question marks, and, and we have a great comment here from uh, uh, from one of our listeners about Frankie Lampard from from uh, G. Morty, basically saying there's uh, there there are people thinking Lampard made a mistake now coming over here because they got Pirlo right, they've got Via, they've got Mix Discarude in that midfield, and uh, maybe he would have been better off staying yet another season at Manchester City, who. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, and we're not talking Premier League tonight, but we will a lot on this show. Manchester City are going to play a number of youth players this season. Uh, four guys promoted to the first team. Uh, one or two of them might start on Monday. That's uh, that's what happens eventually with financial fair play, right? Um, you have to start using those guys. Chelsea's in the same situation. I think we're going to see a couple of their guys this year. Uh, but you're seeing these dynamic attacking players need and so this is great also for the confidence of Josie Altador and Michael Bradley they could start scoring goals uh, obviously Javinko is, is scoring a lot of goals for Toronto but what about the defenders what about the defender in MLS that makes the mistake gives the ball away and it's always becoming a goal the other way how does that player develop how does the holding midfielder that gets run over in every game develop when a league has very clearly for marketing purposes signed every attacking player they could and this is a league that uh, two years ago three years ago said to Toronto Olaf Melborg who uh, my colleague at the NESL at the time Michael Preston uh, he would have gone to Toronto to watch games because he's a Villa fan and he loved Melbourne. Well, you can't sign him. We don't think that's a good use of a DP, spending it on a... I remember this is a time when you, you had one DP per team uh, spending it on a defender so that's the emphasis. So you have an unbalanced league, and how does that affect then how these guys go to international play when they're playing against the likes of Sergio Ramos and those sorts of center backs? 
Well, I mean, I'll, I'll do I'll do something for the the American audience here, and and you got you have to do this when you think of of this whole concept that you're bringing up, and that is taking a step back and looking this looking at this from a a very open-minded sporting point of view, and and defense doesn't sell. Defense is not is not a selling point, and, and baseball teams struggle with with having teams that are no pitchers don't necessarily sell tickets, and, and in basketball, it's so basically, right there, Nate, you're Nate, you're, 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 you're admitting you're admitting right there with that. Uh, response that the welfare of the U.S. men's national team is probably different than uh, than MLS, and we've had too many fans represent them as uh, as co-equals that are that have a symbiotic symbiotic relationship. When in fact, there are clear examples like you just laid out where that is not beneficial to the U.S. national team. It's a because they MLS has to entertain, they have to market, they have to make money. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, 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 I'm totally with you on that, but again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this kind of from a North American point of view, and, and I, I tweeted this out the other day, just I mean, trying to get a few laughs from people, but there's also a serious point here, and that is that over the last couple of weeks, Major League Soccer has become the Mexican League. It's become Liga MAX, and, and we've had so many uh, you know, Mexican analysts uh, on, on World Soccer Talk Radio, and, and they talk about what that league has become. I mean, it's, it's entertainment in, in every single way. If you're a fan of, of quality defending, it might not be your best cup of tea, uh, but who doesn't like 5-3 and 6-4? I mean, it's fantastic, and they basically shape the entire league around that. Maybe that has been uh, a hindrance to the Mexican national team. Look at the struggles that they've had recently and how sloppy they can be uh, at the back line. How you got a guy in, in Miguel Herrera who likes playing five back setups and, and playing a very defensive counter-attacking style and, and his guys week in, week out are playing in these just outrageous you know, I've made that point over, I think that. And so, well, I made. I just jump in here for a minute. I made that point over and over again about the Premier League. I think the Premier League, hands down, was the best league in the world from 2005 to 2010. Now, because uh, Premier League teams have made such an emphasis on on pace and si- just signing quick players, uh, not worried about touch as much, not worried about defensive shape, with the exception of Mourinho. That's why he's going to win the league again this year, in my opinion. Uh, even though Ch- uh, Chelsea's not signed anyone besides Falcao and all these other teams, Arsenal, uh, City, United, they're all making moves. Um, that the Premier League has dropped off and it has affected the England national team because there is not, there's been more of an emphasis on entertainment. Now, I think that's going to shift back. The new TV deal is going to make the Premier League a behemoth and they're going to overtake Germany again and, and overtake Spain. But I think part of the dip had to do with the, the desire to entertain and market, which the Premier League has done like no other sporting institution on the planet with the exception of the NFL, uh, possible exception of the NFL. Maybe the Premier League's done even better than they have. Uh, but the Mexican League, I see it. I, it's been going on in Mexico for about seven or eight years where it's been these wide-open games. Do you think it's good? I mean, maybe it's good for MLS's marketing. Ultimately, is it good for U.S. soccer and player development if – we continue to have these six, four games in Major League Soccer because we're getting two or three of these every week. I, I, I think it would be beneficial for certain defenders uh, to to develop in in Major League Soccer, hmm. and I think okay. uh, I bring up you know what we talked about with guys being at mid-level clubs. Well, if the attacking is going to improve so much, I, I do think there are benefits 
that a young defender can get from, from playing in Major League Soccer. Would I prefer that he plays in Major League Soccer? No. I would prefer that he plays with a European club that has a far more uh, tactically reasonable uh, approach that translates far better to our national team. And, and I think I'd be confident in saying that if I were from any other country as well. And then the comparisons that we're bringing up uh, with other national teams. So that would be my preference. However, I think there's tons of things that a, a young defender can gain uh, from playing in Major League Soccer, and especially if more and more of these world-class attackers are coming to this league and are going toe-to-toe with these guys week in, week out. And I think that there could be a lot to gain, but it's, it's a tricky one there for sure. Nate, uh, last question before uh, I let you go and, and uh, uh ask you where we can find you on social media, etc. Uh, Raheem Sterling, you and I are going to go back and forth on him all year long, I'm sure, as I'm a Man City supporter and you're a Liverpool supporter, but do you even see an American player that's a young Raheem Sterling, a young, quick player who's kind of tactically adept, uh, that's exciting? Do you see Do you see that even happening? I mean, we talk about Winston American Messi. When's the, when's the American Raheem Sterling coming? His name is DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah, maybe. Right. His, his name is his name is DeAndre Yedlin, and and you look at all the the individual based nightmares with Raheem Sterling and and the shady eighty, the agent, and all these different things that were going on on a personal level with Raheem Sterling, and he regressed. He regressed over the last year based on the treatment that he was getting as an individual. And it's so funny that you bring that up because I fear that the same thing has happened with DeAndre Yedlin. He's not getting, and look, I don't want to sound like these players need coddling or anything, but he needs individual care. He needs individual care. And DeAndre Yedlin right now is not getting that. If he does get that, my God, he, he's world, he is potentially a world-class player. You had people in England, you had a lot of Belgians saying that. Uh, about him after the 2014 World Cup and seeing what this guy did and just the, you hear that word raw. And I remember when Raheem Sterling came up for the 17-year-old at Anfield and hearing that word so much thrown out by Scouser, he's just raw. He's so raw. That's the same word that people use to describe DeAndre Yedlin and he's got a similar skill set and I think there's, there's a lot there. I just fear I just fear in that mold of player back in England. We got it back in England. And Sean Wright Phillips and, and Aaron Lennon and, and the speedy winger type that hits that ceiling in their career. I fear DeAndre Yedlin hitting that ceiling. But if he gets the right coaching, he gets the right personal care, I'll tell you what, DeAndre Yedlin will be a world-class player starting for a good club in a top league. Great, Nate. Uh, where, can, where can folks find you on Twitter and uh, remind uh, everybody about uh, World Soccer Talk Radio? Monday through Friday, uh, three times a day, actually. There's live uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network, and there's replays at night. And uh, in the middle of the night, for all of you uh, late-night truckers out there uh, driving across the country uh, on the interstates, um, the show is also available to download on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, WorldSoccerTalk.com, all that good stuff. Tweet me, and I always say this on the show, you know this, Friday, something I say all the time. Tweet me with the love mail 
and the hate mail. I enjoy all of it. I get plenty of both, and that's what it's all about. Speak your mind. Be a part of this thing. Get at Cardiff with the love mail and the hate mail. He gets plenty of both. Yep. Get at me with the love mail and the hate mail. We love it. Get involved with these shows. We've got a great team together uh, with, with this World Soccer Talk umbrella right now. And Cardiff, it has been a pleasure being on the first edition of Divers and Chiefs. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Nate, and we'll be listening to your show. Uh, good luck to Liverpool this weekend against Stoke. Uh, 6-1 was the result the last time. Those two team points. Yeah, 6-1 the last time they played, so hopefully you guys do better, and we will talk to you real soon. Thank you, Nate. Cheers. Back and So that was Nate's view, which he brought up some very, very interesting thoughts. And before uh, we talk about what we're going to see in the next few weeks on this show and here at uh, worldsoccertalk.com, I want to remind you about Rabble, which is uh, how many of you are listening to us today. Uh, If you're enjoying this episode of Divers and Cheats, it's time to give a shout out to our sponsor who made this entirely possible. In fact, so much of what we've done this summer at World Soccer Talk possible during the Women's World Cup, the Gold Cup, and some of the international friendlies we've had. And as we continue through the MLS and NASL seasons here in North America, Rabble.tv. If you're not familiar with Rabble, it's a completely new way of experiencing sports on television. The concept is simple. The next time you want to watch your favorite soccer team on TV, but you're tired of the announcers because they're biased against your team, or simply aren't that good, press the mute button and head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to a real fan's audio broadcast of the game. And if there isn't one available, you can create your own broadcast and vent all you want, as long as you have a mic. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, you can listen to broadcasts on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. Plus, you can join the conversation by posting your questions, as we've had today on our show, or observations in the comments section. So take a moment to thank our sponsor, Rabble.tv, for making this episode possible by heading on over to Rabble.tv today, where where it's your team and it's your call. So once again, thank you to Rabble. It's been an incredible summer. Uh, I've done an NASL game with Ken Mendonca, worked with Neil Blackman on on some things. We thought about doing an Orlando game. We're both in Orlando a lot for MLS games. Uh, Worked with uh, Caitlin O'Connell on a Women's World Cup. Worked with Daniel Forestine on Gold Cup. Worked with Daniel also on some U.S. friendlies. And uh, now we've got the Premier League season, and we've got broadcasts like this uh, here on Rabble.tv in partnership with World Soccer Talk. So in the coming weeks here on Divers and Cheats, we're going to talk about issues like this. We talked about more of an on-the-field issue this week, but we're going to talk more a lot about FIFA scandal. We're going to talk a lot about CONCACAF. Uh, that scandal. We'll talk about concepts uh, that might interest some of you, like promotion and relegation in the United States, like TV money in Europe, like financial fair play, like sponsorships, and some of those things. And also, this is a topic we're going to get into in a future show. Why did we enjoy watching the Women's World Cup so much compared to the men's game? Not just that the skill level in the games were so good, but because there was so little diving and so little cheating in that tournament. That's why we call this show Divers and Cheats. That's why we love the Women's World Cup, even though it was played on turf, which kind of spoiled the whole thing. So, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening to our first show. We're going to go roughly an hour each week. Uh, thank World Soccer Talk and Rabble.tv. My name is Carter Krishnar. You can interact with me on Twitter at KKFLA737 or, or send a Facebook friend request. Uh, uh, follow me on Google Plus or uh, those are the three 
social media. I'm on Twitter more than I'm on Twitter 98% of the time, on Facebook 1% of the time, Google plus 1% of the time. So you have a much better chance of finding me on Twitter, but you, you can follow me anywhere uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Google plus. Uh, Interact with us at KKFLA7, with me at KKFLA737. Follow us at World Soccer Talk, our Twitter handle, and Ravel is Ravel TV at Twitter, at Ravel TV. Remember to check out our website, worldsoccertalk.com. We have the best Premier League coverage, English Premier League coverage, and that season kicks off this weekend, 7.45 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday, Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United, two of the best teams in the league, playing at Old Trafford, so we, we get dive head first into the season with that matchup uh, and uh, uh, you can watch that league on NBC and NBC Sports Network and USA Network, USA Network will be showing a, a number of games this year USA Network is going to show a game a week it, it appears this year uh, so that's uh, that's a that's a cable channel that's actually more homes than ESPN believe it or not um, by about a million more homes but uh, it is one of the biggest cable channels in the country. So, again, we're going to be talking about all these issues in the coming weeks, and we'd love for you to continue to interact with us on Twitter and by reading WorldSoccerTalk.com, where you get expert opinions on every league uh, that, that matters in the world, every league that you're watching, and on all these other issues outside the game. We've covered some things this summer that other journalists, other uh, media outlets have shied away from. So we're, we're unafraid, and we're going to be unafraid on this show. So once again, I'm Carla Krishnire. Thank you for listening to our inaugural episode, and we will catch you next week, same time, same place. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.